Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Stars Like Us. I'm your host, Eliza Kelly, and I can't believe it. <laughs> I am having a conversation. We are all having a conversation with the incredible Lindsay Mack, who is an intuitive tarot teacher and the founder of Tarot for the Wild Soul. And I just found out an Aries sun in the eighth house, a Leo moon, a Virgo rising. I feel like this all checks out already, but Avs, <laughs> we can let this sort of unfold organically. Thank you so much for for being here and for having this conversation with me. Oh my God, the honor is all mine. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm going to just you know, flood you with praise for a quick moment, which is that I feel like um, in a lot of ways you have when people think of contemporary tarot and when people think of, you know, what it means to really treat this practice as something, you know, as, as a serious study, um, they think of you. I, I think that it's, you know, for, you've been in this business for what it seems to me, and you, you would shock me if you said that this was something recent for you, but it seems like you have been doing this for quite a long time. And, um, that you have really created a structure surrounding the language of tarot and the teaching of tarot that um, that really relates to people. And and I'm just so excited to hear about how this all began and what your journey is with this work. Oh, thank you so much. It's really made me emotional to hear that. Thank you for saying that. It's lovely. Um, yeah, I mean, I can dive into that. Let's dive. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's been, uh, I think that this is true for most of us doing this work and with this calling and, but it's been a pretty spiralic journey in that I have definitely was not a situation where I thought, oh, I'll go and, um, I'll do this thing. It kind of got handed to me and I had to go through a lot to get there. Um, but the, uh, sort of more abridged version of the, of the story is that, um, I picked up my first tarot deck at 12 years old. I don't recall ever having seen or known about tarot. Nobody else in my family, there are intuitives in my family, but nobody else in my family practices the kind of uh, way that I do. And so there weren't really any metaphysical uh, uh, anchors for me, but I saw a deck in a store and thought, yeah, I'd love, I'd love to know more about that and bought books because I'm a Virgo rising and was like, well, I'll teach myself. This will be great. You know, I'll teach myself. I'll give readings. And right away at 12, I do remember reading many books and just thinking like, no. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, no. Um, I was queer. And at that time, only had eyes for girls. And uh, when I read stuff about like the Knights of the Tarot, I thought, no, <laughs> like, no, I, I don't resonate with that. And um, I learned from, a, I don't know where it came from, but started tracking cards at that age where I'd get a card and I'd read about it and I'd think, okay, maybe. And then I would like wait and watch through the day. And I would think like, okay, if this is a tower day, like what happened at school, what happened at home? And very quickly I started to um, marry I think even at that age, a sense of really curious humility around what other people had to say, but also recognizing that I have critical thinking ability. And if it didn't track with me, it might not track with everybody. 
So from a really young age, I started to be like, well, this is what people say, but I wonder if it could be like this. And so I uh, really taught myself and made it a point to be a student of whatever resources or, or literature I could get my hands on. And sometimes I agreed and sometimes I didn't, but it felt like there was always room for everything. Um, but I had absolutely no intentions of being any kind of a tarot uh, reader or educator, um, even though I read my whole life. <laughs> I was the last person to ever think that that would be how my life went. And essentially what kind of birthed me into it there were a couple steps. I was an actor for a long time and then really was like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. Right at my Saturn return, I was like, nope, I'm out of love with it, not interested, not available, and went right into health coaching. And I'm a survivor of very extreme abuse in my childhood and my teenagers and have had a pretty complex PTSD for a while. And uh, especially that time, it was especially during my Saturn return, like all that was coming up because it was pretty much untreated prior to my Saturn return and um, was really interested in being a health and life coach to people who were dealing with anxiety, but intuition and tarot was not a part of it. They were really separate in these ways that um, had to be bridged. And uh, a nervous breakdown took care of that. (laughs) And uh, that happened around the age of 30. And then kind of right after that, so much left my life at that awakening experience that I sort of thought, well, I don't quite know what I'm going to do with my life. I don't I don't I was really so open that I just thought I'm not chasing after an acting career, health coaching. It's not it. I don't know why, but it's a part of it. And I just never thought tarot, whatever. And literally as fate would have it, I wound up um, getting the opportunity to read tarot in a store to this day. I have no idea what even made me say yes to it. I hadn't given a reading to another person in forever, even though I still used it for myself. And literally in the moment I sat down for my like, you know, sliding scale reading six or so years ago, sat down, it all came flooding back. And I was like, Oh, my God, I loved doing this. I forgot how much I loved reading for people. And then with my, um, my uh, real, uh, with the languaging and the education of coaching, and really learning how to listen and how to frame reading in that perspective, which I don't think is so unique. Lots of us are sort of tarot or, you know, weave together the practices of coaching and and um, spiritual stuff is not terribly unique, but um, really found that there was a language coming out of me that worked for me and um, was really surprised right away because I thought, whoa, I love doing this. This feels very right. And literally from the time I said yes to that, I've not experienced a break in expansion and acceleration in what I'm doing. And thus far, it's really been that I read in stores and then I started reading in wellness spaces and I started doing events and retreats and then I had my own practice in my house and then um, that shifted to phone and then I realized I don't really care to read for people right now. I really want to teach and serve and that has been the last year. So it's been about six years that I've been doing this for my job and uh, 24 years this year, it'll be that I've been reading and studying. So, uh, yeah, it's just been a continually folding, spiraling practice that continues to come with me over the last six years. Lots of things have happened, illnesses, you know, like 
different situations and my my practice always seems to come with me it, it only really ever gets a little bit more resonant a little richer the more i get into my work so um believe it or not that's fairly abridged but uh that's sort of the story of how it started and where i am today and then you also have created your own deck is that right it is not. I have not. I okay. have not created a deck of my own. Um, are you thinking about Tarot of the Holy Spectrum? No, I'm I'm not. I'm I'm not. I guess I just impose that upon you. Um, I kind of love it. I hope so soon. I feel <laughs> I want to. I'm not thinking about any other deck other than the one that I feel like I visualized for you. But Aww. um, but perhaps what I'm thinking about if it's not a visual physical deck is Mm -hmm. your approach to tarot, I feel is very specific and it it has, um, you sort of created these archetypes or this, these new ways of interacting and experiencing what the symbols Mm -hmm. are. Is that, is that a fair read on it? It is. That is a hundred percent. And again, I'm just going to repeat myself that I'm really into the fact that you, felt that I created a deck. I really, that. I genuinely, really, I'm, we're not editing that out because I genuinely I in my soul really thought that you did. <laughs> and I follow well, your work. And I also did my, my Googling beforehand so I could be prepared. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, all of that I read as you having made a deck. Oh, I love that. <laughs> well, I hope that it's, it's a goal of mine to have that in the next year or two. So I'm again, bowing to your psychic wisdom and really kind of calling upon that. I'm, I'm into it. Really, <laughs> um, But you're not wrong in what you're saying. I, I do teach a kind of tarot that I call soul tarot. That is um, kind of a gentle and really open-ended reinterpretation and utilization of the tarot to kind of move through us considering it in a different way than maybe it has been considered and sort of the main tenets of the way that I teach is um, what medicine is this card offering? Um, what might it be inviting us into? And really specifically, my kind of bread and butter is, okay, we get a card. What do you do with it? Mm-hmm. Like rather than looking at it as something that's happening to you, starting to view it, even the spikier cards as being even for you. Some people may not even be available to that, but I am a really resourced person in terms of like, I'm like, okay, this situation has been dropped into me. Okay. There's, there's maybe nothing I can do about it, but how can I respond to it? I'm really interested in that. And that uh, is uh, a big part of the passion of the way that I teach um, and how the cards talk to me. That's just how they, what they say to me is like, okay, here I am now what's step two, three, you know, whatever it is. So yeah, yeah, you, you definitely have that right on. I have a very specific and sometimes um, really hot takes <laughs> on different on different ways to interpret cards, always with enormous respect to what others, you know, Tara is completely subjective. So I'm never right. You know, there's no right way to be. You're it. also Just, never wrong, which exactly. as, as, as an Aries, I know you'll appreciate. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you have any examples of your of a unique interpretation that you have or, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I could also throw you some of these, you know, death card, tower mm-hmm. cards, like the ones that are when we see them, we're a little uh, oftentimes people can be a little 
freaked out by. Um, yeah. It might not be those that you have the hot takes, but I'll invite you to also think, answer sure. those as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll, 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 I'll offer a little bit of both. You know, I, I usually, I usually like to remind people that having some spike of contraction around the death card and the tower card is not only normal, but is actually a really good sign mm -hmm. because part of the gift and, you know, by the way, I'm not totally, these are not hot takes. Lots of people say this about these cards. That's why some are hot takes and some are not, but those two cards really serve in completely different ways to kind of de-layer a sense of some kind of structure that is, um, with the case of the tower, a structure that we build in our lives where the foundation has never quite been to code. And so as a gift, life hands us a tower to be like, we're going to take the whole thing down so you can resurface that foundation. So anytime you build on it again, you'll never have to have it tip or fall. You'll never quite have to, you'll be able to get down to the root. So it's something that we hate as humans because the nervous system doesn't like that kind of change. Mm -hmm. But if we can, if we can understand that we can hold both that it doesn't feel very good and that it's bringing such a profound opportunity. When, when do we really get that opportunity to go mm -hmm. right down to the root of something and recenter? Not, not often to truth be told. So the tower does bring gifts and, and we also don't have to like it. And I think you know, Death Card does the same thing. It's such a beautiful opportunity when something reaches its final end to think about it in terms of composting, because really nothing ever dies. So this idea of taking what has been and composting it, allowing it to be food for what's ready to grow is such a beautiful way to look at it and can be useful, helpful. But uh, an example of a hot take um, is the first thing that came to mind was Four of Cups, where and again, this is always with respect to other interpretations, but pretty much across the board, the interpretation of this card is, um, you know, this little cloud hand for those who are unfamiliar with the images and handing this fourth cup down to this person who's already um, totally gone through three cups that are sort of scattered around them. And um, they may be a little drunk. They might be a little full, whatever. But this little cloud hand is coming down with a fourth cup and, Almost across the board universally, um, this interpretation, and it, it intends to be helpful, is you're not paying attention. You're getting offered something and it's in front of you and you're kind of spacing on it. You're missing it. Mm. Um, and with with literally all the respect in the world, I don't agree mm -hmm. because I do I do think that there are circumstances in which a natural and organic digestion period for life is important and we also see in the five of cups that when um, the continuation of this image moves through and this person is staring at their three spilled cups and like grieving over, oh my God, I should have taken the fourth, that not only is the fourth full cup behind them, but a fifth cup is there too, mm -hmm. that we never actually miss what's meant for us mm -hmm. and that we can develop such stronger trust and strength and soul hardiness by saying, Whatever this is, whatever this offering is, is an invitation and time is really flexible and I am absolutely allowed to take my time digesting and processing what I have consumed, knowing that this fourth offering will come back around for me. So I actually think we pay beautiful attention in this card. It's just that there's some wisdom in us that knows um, it's just not the time to take it. 
which is a huge part of cups. It's like all about like that journey in that suit is all about timing Mm -hmm. and like really just, and that's, you know, if we're going to look at that suit as a suit of of love, which a lot of people do, um, I don't know that it necessarily always is, but um, if, if that's something that's really important to us, um, timing is such a big part about meeting anyone in our lives who's important to us, who we love. And, you know, so that's, that's one gentle hot take. <laughs> I have, <laughs> I, I, can I share with you a few of my uh, serious hot takes? I'm not sure how gentle sure. they are. I could be so, I, I mean, Please. in a reading, I'm not going to approach it like this, but if we're just like spilling tea about the cards. Yeah, for gas. <laughs> yeah. But before I uh, share a few of my hot takes, what I, I want to respond to what you were just saying and what it reminds me um, is, you know, one of I, I get I'm getting to this interesting point with my practice as an astrologer. Um, mm. And as you had mentioned earlier in this episode, you, you know, your practice is growing as you're growing and there's an evolution and a journey just inherently. Um, I at so many points in the last seven years since working with astrology, um, mm if I didn't allow the way that I and see and interpret astrology to change, I would have walked away from it. Changing my mind has been such an imperative and critical role in the way that I interpret not just the planets and the zodiac, but astrology at large. Um, right now, what I'm really excited and focusing on is the cyclicality of things. That mm. is the sort of the theme of the moment for me um, is thinking about how we mirror our own innate cycles in astrology and astrology isn't imposing its cycles on us. We're imposing them on astrology. Yeah. And it's not like problematic imposition. It's a conversation. But I I think that we are the ones who are initiating that dialogue, um, not the stars and the planets themselves. Totally. And that's been a, a really paramount breakthrough that I've had recently. And even interacting with this material and and helping in sort of the way that I'm metabolizing it and then how I am inviting other people to do so as well. One of the things that I think is so amazing about tarot as well is that you have an entire world created within the deck and you have Mm -hmm. the greater life cycle of the deck and then you have all of these suits that are moving through their own you know, they all have their own journeys too. And, and everything is, you know, part of uh, its own, you know, little individual cycle, but it's also part of this greater cycle, but then every card is in of itself a cycle. And I think that the, you know, it's the, just sort of the micro and the macro and the way that those blend is so beautiful since it does mirror our experiences. Something that you had said just made me think of that. And I wanted to make note of such a similar parallel between Mm -hmm. these different um spiritual practices but now I want to share with you some of my like drama takes on things I can't wait so I think that the and it's interesting that you use the four of cups as your example I think that the four of wands is not always a good I don't well, how do I phrase this? I don't think that the four of wands necessarily means that the quizitant, the the person that you're reading for, is going to be in a relationship um, or oh, be yeah. partnered. That's really old paradigm. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I actually feel like it. you're watching somebody else do that. I feel like there's a lot of projection in that card. 
um, mm. a projection of either like you sort of you could even be jealous of someone else's relationship or you could be trying to mirror someone else's dynamic within your own relationship and you're not being 100% genuine to what the real truth is because the card is like you know it's so observational you're like watching a wedding you know you're watching mm -hmm. people become partnered but you yourself are not in that you know you're like watching from behind the fucking bushes and mm -hmm. I think that that is definitely <laughs> always a little bit contentious because it's, you know, when you read about it, if you were to go on the the webs, <laughs> you would see mm -hmm. that it's like, oh, marriage, love, partnership. But I think it's a little bit more complicated than that. What do you think? <laughs> I mean, first of all, I fucking love that take. And I think that there's so much beauty in, in thinking about four of wands that way because the more that we can permission ourselves, I think, to really have the space and the freedom to feel those things like, I'm watching this, maybe there is jealousy, like letting there be room to feel that and not have it be a problem, I think is is a real gift. Um, I, I love your hot, I love hearing everybody's takes about the tarot, I'm into it. I feel called to go back and weave in some of what you were saying about observing the way we sort of starting to look at the cyclical nature how we sort of initiate these uh, conversations with the planets or the stars and how there's a projection on our part. And I have really felt this way for a long time with tarot too, which is why I think critical thinking is like literally more important than anything when yes, it comes to I completely a tarot. Agree. Yeah. Because who said that the cup suit is about love? Like, and I'm not arguing it. I'm just saying like, literally who said somebody decided somewhere and these archetypes have existed basically since the dawn of time in all kinds of different forms and these experiences have existed since the dawn of time in all kinds of different forms but they have to come through a human filter in some way so if the person doing the channeling if their filter isn't quite as debris free as we might like it it's literally a part of our job to think, well, what was that person? Because one of my mottos personally with the tarot is that if it doesn't apply to everybody, it doesn't apply to anybody. And considering there are people who are asexual, they don't date, they're not partnered. The cups kind of cannot just hinge on love because it doesn't apply to everybody. But uh, I, I love having those conversations because I think it's just crucial. Like it's so important to, to think about all forms of, of divination, as we might say in that way. Yeah, I love your take on um, Four of Wands. I think that's lovely. The way that uh, it's always tended to the thing that I'm always drawn to pay attention to, I wouldn't necessarily say it's like my hard and fast because I'm always changing with these cards, but the fours, when I really look at them objectively, are always these sort of containers for some kind of break, like four of swords, even though this person is in a coffin, like the swords are coming at them and the coffin is this kind of protection and that fourth sword, they're lying parallel to it. I think there's a lot to be said there about the potential symbolically for the archetype to be an opportunity for a mental rest. And back in 1909, when, you know, the Smith Rider weight was illustrated, that was a really good way to express sleep, rest, mm -hmm. like yeah. literally resting the mind. And um, I can see that with four of pentacles, rather than it being the sense of like greed and gripping onto things. Those pentacles are not really about money, because like, let's be real. Um, it's not, but uh, it really 
can be about money, but isn't always. And it's interesting that all four of the pentacles that this person is holding, it's the crown, it's the heart, and it's the root. And there's always been this sense of like a body boundary to me, this mm-hmm. kind of wise. Wow, like, yeah, take, that's beautiful. Yeah, like taking space, you know. And four of wands, although I've never thought about it in the wonderful way you just posited, which I think, again, is so important and valid. I, too, tend to think about like the wand suit is really intense. It's like, especially in Smith Rider, it's like, I have to get it. I have to achieve or to make this happen. There's a lot of fire and grit. And the four is really the only time where there's the potential for any play. Even if we're like looking at, I always tend to, I check myself whenever I get four wands. I'm like, okay, am I burying myself in work and kind of just looking out on play, on fun, on celebration from like inside my office? Am I taking enough space here? And sometimes I think like I have to put down my work and go outside, you know, and like have some kind of initiation, some kind of perspective on celebration that might be different from what I'm thinking is worthy of celebrating. So I'm always checking myself there because as a fire sign, I do have a tendency to work a lot. Um, as an Aries, I should say, but I, you know, so I think like I'm always checking in on that. And sometimes I do feel like with four of wands, like I'm, I'm not with, I'm not present in the engagements of life. I'm sort of looking out because I'm mm-hmm. so consumed with what I'm doing. So I love that sense of inclusion with all kinds of emotional experience. I think sometimes that's a hard card. Those, the cards that are like, go out, play, enjoy, you're going to get something great. Um, the, the presupposition that the tarot has anything to do with like externals, like if everybody who ever got 10 of cups wound up being in like a perfect relationship, we wouldn't be here talking about this probably. Right, so totally. Not, yeah, not all of them hinge on anything. So I think those check-ins are so crucial and like making room for that stuff. I, I love it. I'm all about that. Yeah, I I love the Rider-Waite-Smith deck because mm-hmm. um, the symbolism is so rich to me and mm-hmm. It's what I studied on. It's, you know, I have lots and lots of different decks and I, I find that, you know, at different points I might be called to a different deck. Um, but at the end of the day, like if I want to get, roll up my sleeves and really get in it, I, I go back mm-hmm. home <laughs> for me, which yeah. is to Rider Waite Smith because it's so, there's so many dimensions to look at and they've done, Pamela Coleman Smith did such a beautiful job of creating this world that yes. really all folds into itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the things that I look at is like, what color is the sky? You know, is the sky in in this four of wands and in some of the other cards, the sky is yellow, which is kind of odd, you know? Like, yes. what does it mean that the sky is yellow? Like, that's not a, that's, that's a very specific choice. And to yes. me, the yellow sky also signifies something being just, you know, slightly askew. Um, it reminds me of, you know, like a the sky before a storm or before a tornado um, when something is just odd. Because the the, the choice of then the, a blue sky um, or, you know, a, a sky with a sun or a lighter blue sky or a gray sky or even a black sky, is it's all very distinctive and purposeful. Um, and I like to think about how all of those different choices could be metabolized and interpreted in these different ways. I love that too. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's an incredible deck. I think even if we're 
uh, ideally, hopefully everyone will like sort of evolving our understanding of it. I do think I, I feel very strongly in my work that if you're starting with Smith Rider weight, you then know the form if you choose to break it. I, I think it's really challenging to step into a kind of a sense of um, really full flesh, holistic understanding of tarot cards without knowing Smith Rider weight. Eventually, you don't have to start there, but I think totally it's important because she really was responsible for the minor arcana being what it is today. And really every deck that's come after it has either not done what Pamela Coleman Smith has done or have is taking from what Pamela Coleman Smith has done because prior to that, the Marseille, it was uh, just wands in a line, you mm-hmm. know, or cups in a line, which I'm sure, you know, so um, yeah, it's, it's pretty extraordinary. And the idea that rider and weight were basically like, do whatever you want for the miners. Like she's really responsible for it being what it is, which is so cool. Um, but yeah, I love, I love that deck too. It's wonderful. Um, what, I guess a two part question. Um, what <laughs> decks do you like to teach on and how do you feel about the Thoth deck? I'll start with the second one. I just, I, again, major respect, have studied it, know the guidebook really well. Cause I have to, to teach everybody. Um, so sometimes I, I have like literally hundreds of, it feels like hundreds of guidebooks that I will just buy to read so that I understand what the person was going for. So if somebody in my courses ask a question, I have some kind of frame of reference for what they're asking about because I'm a nerd and a Virgo rising <laughs> and uh, it, I retain a lot of information. It's very easy for me to remember that stuff. It has never really called to me, although I used it a little bit in college and I can't remember whether or not I had my own or I don't remember like it ever really singing through my hands, but of course I think it's tremendous work and wonderful. Um, but I don't have any kind of hard and fast feelings. I don't personally agree with some of the interpretations, but you know, who am I to say that for some people it's, it's, it's like complete brilliance. It's their religion. So it doesn't resonate for me really, I should say rather than agree, but is it a tremendous work? You know, I think it is. I am weird in that I have not done a lot of picking and choosing of my decks. They've come to me in these, and I've had like many over the years, but over the last six years, I've worked with basically three <laughs> that have kind of, I've been in these intense marriages with, and then either some of them will go or I'll outgrow some or whatever. But um, I used the mother piece for a long time. That was a really important deck to me. And naturally there was an outgrowing of that deck. And then uh, I used the aquarium for a while in a really challenging pocket of my life Mm -hmm. and right when it it like came in at exactly the right time and then the pagan other worlds deck came in and very quickly we started to do really intense strong work together so that tends to be what I use um, from my personal practice but you asked about teaching I love to teach with the Smith Rider weight I think it's essential I, I don't know if really I could ever teach without that deck and my other favorite deck to use in teaching is the Next World Tarot by Christy Road, which is like, I think, in my really humble opinion, like the next great evolution in the direction of decks. Um, it's she's a genius and, and it's really an extraordinary piece of work, really speaks to uh, some lens views on the cards that I've never seen before. So that's a huge part of when I do, of course, what I'll teach with. And for those listeners who... Um 
are interested in beginning their journey with tarot, what do you think is, well, how do you feel about the idea of being gifted your first deck and, and like, what are your thoughts on that? And then how do you think, what are some of your suggestions for how to begin a journey with, with this material at all? Well, I think, first of all, the first rule of tarot is that there are no rules, mm-hmm. which I know is annoying. But no, I that's my really favorite rule. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I do really feel strongly about it. And um, I do think that you can be gifted. If you are, that's great. If you're not perfectly acceptable to go out and buy your own deck, I would say just as much as you can, let your heart decide Sometimes we have to go through a couple decks to really find the one that speaks with us. Sometimes it takes years and that's not weird. It's not a problem and you don't have to steal it. Like there's no, there's no initiation process necessary for us to claim our birthright of connection with these cards. Um, And then I would say that probably the most important first step for any like baby deer tarot reader who really wants to get their feet wet with this material is to do some self-reflection on the kind of learner you are. Are you the kind of person who really needs some hand-holding? If so, that is totally not a problem. Um, maybe you want to look to a specific book or two books or to YouTube or to a teacher or to a class in your local area. Maybe you want to choose a specific deck with a guidebook that speaks to you. I actually think that that's a really strong recommendation. I think we actually learn really well when we bond with a certain deck, even if it's not um, maybe one of the of the old standards or the backbones, but very powerful to learn it through the lens view of one creator and then to expand our view out. I think that's great. Um, and if you're somebody who's just like, I don't need anybody. I have I can have a personal relationship with these cards. I know plenty of readers who just will give themselves so much time and space to develop their own understanding that eventually they want to reach out to a teacher or to someone to to learn on. But I think there are an infinite amount of steps that are available to any reader that there's no one hard and fast way. And so I think reflecting on yourself first and seeing sort of what would be most useful and supportive to you, because in my opinion, there really is no misstep when it comes to learning tarot, because the worst thing that could happen is that you learn with someone who is such a symbol of contrast for you in that you are like, I hate this teacher. I hate the way they're talking about these cards. I don't agree. You couldn't really pay for a better way to kickstart your own empowered journey with learning on your own. Mm -hmm. So there really, there really is no wrong move you can make, but I think just checking in with what would make you feel most comfortable. And then, you know, knowing that this is a lifetime that, you know, any teacher you have, if you really like your teacher, ideally they're going to come and go and you're going to be left with your own understandings that are going to continue to evolve in you. So just knowing yourself and taking the most natural and affordable and available step forward for yourself, I think is really useful. In terms of then also structuring your business and creating, mm-hmm. um, creating sort of a, you know, a, a self-sustaining practice, um, how did that, and you told us a bit of your genesis, but how did, are there any particular decisions that you made or milestone moments that, that really changed the game for you or that you could recommend to others who are trying to figure out how to make this, their tarot practice or any of their spiritual divination practices, something that is actually 
that they can make a living from? Yeah, uh, I do have a couple of maybe pieces of advice that might be useful. I've had many milestones in my career. Leaving my day job was a big one. How many years um, into beginning this journey did you leave your day job? It was about 11 months that okay. I started and then I left my job. So fast, <laughs> very yeah. quick, um, I'd say. Uh, some pieces of advice, there are a couple of things. One of them, charge your worth even if you don't have as many clients right away, let yourself grow and build and trust what, but you're allowed to raise your rates. You're allowed to keep your rates at a rate that you know is not where it'll be forever. But I, my rate really grew with me and was always a source of a lot of fear. Whenever I raised it, I always think, oh my God, no one's ever going to book with me. And what actually wound up happening is that more people booked with me. So I think the, the rate that we have is not, really the most important thing, but I would just say it because so many people are so scared to charge and should we charge for this work? And of course you should. It's an energetic exchange. And unless you really want to trade, your time is worthy and valuable and your knowledge and your energy is worthy and valuable. And we can just leave that shit in the garbage can where it belongs that we can't charge (laughs) for this work. Uh, So that's number one. Number two is stay really focused and keep your eyes on your own paper. As my mentor, Michelle, would say, It's very easy when you're in the beginning stages of doing this work to really look at what other people are doing and think, oh, my God, why did they get that opportunity or why did they, you know, whatever. And the more you do it, the more you're going to understand who you're serving and how you're serving and what and how your work is meant to come through you and flow through you. And there is a lot of tripping and falling along the way where you think, like, I feel left out. I don't feel included. I don't, you know, whatever it is. And I had a lot of that, but really chose to stay very focused on my work, on developing my work, on getting better. And then I would also say probably the thing that is the hardest for people to do, maybe, and the thing that's also the most important is that I think you kind of have to know when to fold them, so to speak. You have to know when something in your practice is ready to evolve and change and when things are kind of going, because everything in your practice is always talking to you. However many clients you have, that that's it's not bad or good. It's just always a it's always an exchange of information. And are they available to pay you? Do they give you a hard time? Is there energetic kind of overload for you? Is there a breach of boundaries? How can you, you know, it's just again, it's it's never bad, never good. It's just all information. So I have continually through my years of doing this work, had to retrofit boundaries, clarifications, um, lines for myself around, this is what I'm available to do. This isn't what I'm available to do. This is how I'm available to communicate. This is what makes sense for me. Because when you get started with this work and you don't have a day job and you also don't have any like money or resources or savings, you, you are open to anything. You can't really you know, at least I didn't have the privilege or the luxury to say like, oh, I'm only available to work on these days. I was like, I'm available to see you anytime you want to come. Yeah, <laughs> that's fine. You know, like, so, but there Relate are moments. to that. <laughs> yes. But there are these moments, I think, in a practice that's really, that grows and changes with you where you think, oh, that's different now. I actually don't have to do that. And in fact, my clients might completely turn over when I make this change, but that's great because now the invitation I have is more aligned with the next group of people that are coming in and working with me and 
there's been a lot of people that have worked with me for a long time and then I'll make a change and they'll be like, bye. I'm like, bye. Like, see you later. Like that. It's that's fine. That's, that's great. Like we don't resonate anymore through my years. The things that I have like put my cards down on a lot of people in my life have been like, you're out of your mind. And I've never been wrong. Like there are times when I know, do not do this event. Do not do this thing. Uh, you're in the middle of this offering, change it and tell the people why you're changing it. I mean, a year ago, year and a half ago, I had an entire year of people booked out for readings and absolutely knew not to do them anymore and refunded a year's worth of people. And it was okay. And I'm not rich. So meaning like I don't have like money hanging out in the background other than what I'm making Mm -hmm. and paying my employees and, you know, whatever. Like I am definitely abundant and it's great, but did not have the resources to like do that, you know? Um, but I did it because I absolutely knew that it was what was in alignment for me to do. And I listen to divine when I'm told to do something. Mm -hmm. And, um, the other thing I'd say is like, you are not going to have proof that everything you do is going to work out. You're just not, you're not going to have proof. You have to trust yourself. And even if you stumble, uh, the lessons that will come from it, you cannot buy them. They'll be so important to you. So that's just some of the stuff that I'd say is could be useful. That's, I think, really invaluable advice. Um, really, really, truly. I think that it's it's so delicate with, you know, starting a business and monetizing this work. And I often find that beginner uh, practitioners, you know, who are, a, regardless of age, will do one of two things. They're either going to grossly undercharge or they're going to grossly overcharge. 100%. And it's... It really is finding that sweet spot and that just takes practice. The way that I approached it was I grossly, grossly, grossly undercharged because I because I have scarcity trauma, you know? So I, totally. I, I'm always going to approach everything from a place of feeling like, you know, desperate and I, well, I'll, I'll take whatever I can get, you know? And... That was my journey through astrology and continues to be is um, is understanding value in what I do and like, you know, continuing to step outside of my comfort zone and push that a little bit and to experiment with it. But I started on that end of the spectrum. I also have worked with people who are beginning their practices who from the bat started charging more than I do today after I've been doing this for Mm -hmm. seven years and you know it's like I I also you know I don't want to tell them like I don't think that your time is worth that much but you know I don't know how much word of mouth you're going to get if you're only if people have to have that much money to have a session with you you know Mm -hmm. there it's you're not necessarily going to be of the people to have your prices at that high um and that's cool but just something to keep in mind is that you're not going to see as much you know you're not you're you're probably not gonna have as many clients in the beginning and those are like the two extremes right finding the sweet spot of like this is really based on my experience based on my time based on um what feels right in my body, you know, like mm-hmm. that's also a big one for me is I know that it's time to make a change when I feel really energetically drained if I'm doing totally. something. Totally. Yes. And oftentimes, and that applies to sessions, it applies to events, it applies to writing projects, everything. 
if I am dragging my heels at doing something and just feel totally wiped out and exhausted and like I just I, I just need to like no stimuli lie on my couch like comatose I know that there was not the proper exchange that yeah. took place yeah totally I I have a couple of like personal tenets like in my code of ethics but something that I really think is important I highly recommend everyone think about doing and especially those of you listening who are experiencing your career kind of expand perhaps maybe larger than you thought or maybe as big as you'd hoped or whatever something that I've always really uh, done literally since the day I started this work and started to like post on my Instagram about daily polls. I always do something for free. Always. There has never been a time in my career that free thing has changed. It changed from daily Instagram polls to doing tarot scopes for the numinous to then now my podcast is completely free. There's no paywall. Like, and by the way, like have a paywall on your podcast all day long. I think everybody should get some with their podcasts. Um, but with the way that I work right now, the podcast is such a wonderful free resource for people who cannot afford necessarily to work with me or cannot afford to uh, touch in with my work. And I have had in my time offerings that have been more or less um just more of an investment, not wildly expensive, but my reading rates were about as high as anyone I know when I stopped doing them. And quite frankly, I thought, and again, this is not like a, a dig on anyone, like, again, like get some, I think, you know, like charge whatever you want. But it's like, I kept looking around and thinking, like, I don't know anyone who would like pay this on a regular basis. Right. Like, I don't, I wouldn't, like, I can't afford this. And I don't feel now like, that there's a lovely amount of people wanting to work with me. There has to be a different way for me to monetize that so that people can be served and not necessarily have to pay like the top tier of price. So there's always been this like wonderful rebalancing and grounding. And I think it's a wonderful thing to think about even as you get started, what is a gift? What's your tithing? And what is the thing that you ask for exchange on? Sometimes I've had to, like, as you said, Aliza, like, change that, you know, and be like, actually, I don't know about that, you know? So, um, but I think it's really nice to think about. I feel like when I started listening to Tara Brock's podcast back in like 2010, I remember thinking like, wow, like this, all of this is free. Like all of this information, all these resources, she's like giving this away. I couldn't believe it. And I feel like that's been one of my biggest inspirations too, is like just what's available and what's, what's paid for has always been a really nice, um, I think it's kept my work more honest, more integral. And, and it's nice to think about, I think. Yes. I, I think that that's also just a very important perspective. Um, especially as we see, you know, platforms such as Instagram, namely Instagram, like become just a billboard. Um, yeah, there's it's intense, right? It's so intense. I mean, there's not really any creativity or ingenuity on it anymore. Everything is swipe no. up, link in bio. And, you know, I also on on my end, too, because that's 
the platform yeah. that I have been able to access in order to continue to scale. Um, but something that I am very, very, co- very conscious of, and I try to be um, t- mindful of this in each and every interaction I have with mm-hmm. Instagram specifically is that one, they don't own anything I do, or I don't own anything I do. They own everything. And two, that they can, um, you know, they can basically take, they can give you as much exposure and then take away exposure as much as they want. And a business can't sustain on, um, on, on another platform where you don't own your content and you don't create your work alone. Um, it's not safe. And it's, you know, it's again, like, I think that we started this conversation with in the in, you know, considering the role of critical thinking. And I would never I am I am so I, I, I'm a punk at my heart and my core, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I want to question everything. And I am an adult now. So I also don't need to be subversive. But I want to you know, I don't want to just accept anything at face value. And that includes even the way that I can build my business and create um, a long-term future for myself. You know, I don't trust the infrastructure that exists right now. I don't trust the ethos of Facebook. I don't trust like the the reason Mark Zuckerberg started this platform in the first place, I think it was so that he could be a fucking creep and judge and try to like, you know, like, I don't know, like size everybody up because he was excluded and he felt like he mm-hmm. needed to reclaim his power. Like, I don't think that there's, uh, I don't think that the underlying essence of a lot of these platforms is uh, morally sound. And and as a conscious, critical thinking person, I am very deeply aware of the way that I need to lean in and the way that I need to utilize the resources that are available, but also not to put blind faith in a reciprocal relationship, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. So I guess that is a very long-winded way of saying make sure that your business is not just based on Instagram. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's the money shot in terms of the advice that has been given on this podcast, like big time, huge, very important. Yeah, I'm just, I'm very, I'm very creeped out by, (laughs) by all of the things. And the way that I interact, somebody asked me the other day what kind of content I consumed and I they meant it in a, you know, it was not supposed to be an existential, an existential question, but of course for me, it was an existential question. Mm -hmm. And I thought about it and I was like, I I look, I, I mean, majority, I follow like puppy content and like dog rescue content. Um, so mostly puppy stuff (laughs) and dog stuff (laughs) and like adoption stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. but then past that, like I really try to do what I need to do on Instagram and then get off. I don't spend a lot of time hanging out there. I don't um, go on people's, I don't follow people who I am envious of or who I actively get um, jealous feelings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's not even their fault. Some of them are seem like perfectly lovely people. Um, I even know some people personally, but just the way that they're, they communicate on 
that platform makes me feel weird. And if I don't follow them, I'm in it, but if I have to follow them, I mute them. You know, I, I really am try to make sure that um, I spend as little time on it as possible. I don't use it to compare myself as much as possible. I don't even want to read a lot of what my peers write because I don't want, you know, to be influenced by their interpretations. I like my interpretations to be my own. Um, no, I'm so sorry to interrupt no, you. Go ahead. I, was, I was just having a conversation with a friend of mine who is also a tarot reader, also a, a facilitator. And she and I were just saying that we, we've become very good friends in the last year or so, like much closer. And in that time, you know, she was kind of sharing with me, like, you know, Lindsay, I like stopped listening to your podcast. And I was like, good, we're friends now. <laughs> like, I would not expect you to do that. Right. Like, and I'm not saying we can't consume and surprise, nothing to do with support. But I think when you are doing this kind of work, and I completely interrupted and blasted right through what you were saying, I'm so sorry, but it, it made me so excited to hear you say it, because I think the illusion or delusion that somehow that kind of engagement is not supportive is really missing the boat. And when you are actively channeling, working, creating in your flow, the more you do it, the more you understand that it has nothing to do with not supporting your fellow person or your fellow ch channeler, which whatever it's just like you're keeping your eyes on your own paper yes. and you're not necessarily And the closer you are to someone, the more you can inadvertently get some influence in the two channels. And I mean, I think it's part of our responsibility, actually, to like not engage with that as much as we can. So I'm all about what you're saying. I think yes. it's really important. Yes. And I, you know, obviously when a friend her book comes out when there's a big there's something to celebrate i i love you're there celebrating i'm all about it i'm a fucking leo duh we're gonna celebrate we'll pop champagne <laughs> but i on a content consumption basis yes, i do not consume the content of my peers as yeah. someone who is actively interpreting it because i yes. um i don't think any good comes of it <laughs> it does not yeah. benefit my work at all. And yeah. it's, that's okay. You know, and I actually, I, I encourage people if they're having a difficult time navigating, um, social media to experiment with that, you know, and to, to try to see what happens when you take a step back from those accounts or that world that makes you feel like, oh, God, why didn't I get that opportunity? Or, man, they're just turning out so much content. Or, like, they are getting so many likes. Or they have so many followers. Like, it just does not aid you it never in any helps. way. Yeah. Yeah. And I am helps. a competitive person. So, like, don't get me wrong. Like, I get fueled by, like, I love to, I love to be in the race, you know? But I'm self-competitive. So I'm generating my own sort of metrics and scale as to like how I want to achieve things. It has totally. nothing to do with my peers. I love that. Yeah, I feel very similarly to you on that. Like I'm I'm never on Instagram. I don't go on there. I like set up my posts and they just post automatically. And it's changed my life yeah. like literally to not be on there anymore. Um, and it's it's completely opened up my floodgates for work and just ideas because I'm not in what anyone else is doing. And, and there, there is that line in the sand, you know, when you're creating and connecting and 
then there's that moment where all of a sudden it changes and where you were kind of called to be more with your arms open, your arms are now used to kind of like write and create and your arms are full with your own work. And yeah, just as you say, it can be available, cheering people on, celebrating, but especially if, you know, as you are, you're, you're like channeling weekly horoscopes, you're, you're bringing things down. It's actually really important not to be in the act of consumption. And I love that idea of self competitive. I I feel very similarly to you in that way. And it's, it's a great feeling, but, um, I don't want to mix that up with anyone else or get invited into comparison. I'm not interested. Right. Because that's not, I would even go so far as to say that that's not even being competitive. That's, that comes from insecurity, you know, that has a different, that's not about like achievement. That's about judgment. And you're right. It's, I, I think about the tower card so much, I guess, as we prepare to conclude our our session today, our session, our conversation, like mm-hmm. thinking about the tower at the beginning and the end is so interesting because the tower, I, I, whenever I think of the imagery of it, it's like the, this tower, this ornate structure was built on this fucking mountain cliff point. Yeah. Like who would do that? Who would make a giant building at the tippy top of a mountain peak that it is way too big for and then not expect lightning to hit it you know who would do that and I think that when we think about building a business or think about you know even if we take business out of it if we think about just like self-actualizing in any capacity like sometimes we need to make sure that we're not building on the top of an icy mountain peak <laughs> that's yes. going that's not stable you know uh we need yes. to make sure that the foundation that we're building on is solid and kind and compassionate and good and um that we also have our worth and we mm. are you know, available to show up for ourselves and you know all of those important things because yeah. we can scale really high but as soon as something comes and you know, that lightning strikes, if we did not build on a foundation that's solid, it's going to collapse. And the higher you go, the higher it falls. So d- having periodic tower moments um, is is really the best thing I think anyone could ever do. Business, self-actualizing, partnership, everything, you know? Mm-hmm. Definitely. They do really help to clarify and to get us recentered. Yes. And mm-hmm. to just make sure that we are, you know, our, both of our feet are on the ground and we're stable and we can definitely we can carry the weight of of abundance. Yeah, definitely. Well, Lindsay, this is such uh, an amazing conversation. I am I feel so, so grateful that you took the time out of your day to have this chat with me. And Thank I know all of our listeners me. are going to be so excited I have this episode too and all of your wisdom and just your great vibes. Thank you so much. And I just can't say the same enough to you. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for all you do. Thank you for all you do. And I can't wait to see uh, this, this mysterious deck. (laughs) I know this deck that is, is in utero. I think I I see it. So (laughs) I guess it's happening. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much, Lindsay. 